Sermon on the Mount, and I want you to think about this in light of what we were just singing about building, building your life upon God's love. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine, listen, and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Now what I wanted to point out there is that Jesus says whoever hears these words, there's two groups of people or two men and both of them hear the words but one does them and one does not do them. And you're like, well, Eric, I thought this was all about, you know, by grace, through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. Absolutely, positively, that is the gospel. But James says this, is that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And so, guys, we can come every week, and we can hear, and we can hear, and we can hear, but if we never live a life in response, out of a life of faith, out of response to God's Word, what we believe in, what He's done, trusting in that, then we're just building our lives upon the sand. We're just building them upon the sand. And what I just want to exhort you this morning, as we just continue to worship here, is just that if there's something that God is asking you to do, If there's a conversation that you need to have where you need to ask somebody for forgiveness, if there's a conversation that you need to have uh, with somebody that might be a little bit awkward, if there's something you feel the Lord leading you to do, someone you feel like Him leading you to go talk to and share your faith with, guys, we can talk about it, we can think about it, we can believe for it all we want, but in the end, we got to do it. Amen? This is what it means to have faith, to be a disciple. We don't want a faith that's dead. We want that one that's real and one that's going to stand when the storm comes. Amen? So Father, we just praise you this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, we are your disciples and we want to follow you. And Lord, thank you so much for being patient with us. Thank you so much for being gracious to us. But Father, I pray that today that just as an act of worship, Lord, that we would obey you, that we would seek to obey you for your honor and for your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good to be with you. If you got your Bible, go to First uh, Peter. First Peter chapter 5. I need to apologize because uh, two weeks ago when I was preaching, um, I said that we would be about two more weeks in Peter, and now two weeks later, I need to tell you that we're going to be at least another two weeks after this week in in 1 Peter. Uh, The more I study this last chapter, the more I just feel that we need to slow down and get this because it is is rich, and uh, it's really been speaking to me, and I really feel like God has some stuff for us as a community in this text. And so today's going to be 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to jump right into the middle of a verse, right into the middle of verse 5 in 1 Peter chapter 5. If you've got the ESV, the first word that we're going to look at in the middle of, cha- of verse 5 is uh, the word clothe, clothe yourselves. Hear what he says, just a couple verses. Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. 
4. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties, all your worry, all your care, everything that stresses you out, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Bow with me one more time. Father, thanks for this morning. Please help us. Open the eyes of our heart that we could see wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I don't know that many of you will remember this, just because most of you were not with us back then, but when we first started Mercy Hill Church, we met at the Walnut Creek Elementary School in their gym, okay? And we started, I think it was like the third, uh, the third Sunday in March of 2014. We were only there for a couple months, and, and uh, we started the very first week, I just started preaching through the book of Philippians. Um, so even back then, that's just what we, what we did. We just opened the Bible and just walked through it a little bit at a time. And I'll be honest with you, I do not remember many of my sermons, okay? Don't ever feel bad about not remembering my sermons. I hope that they do something, but I don't remember many of my own sermons. However, I do remember one sermon from back at the gym at Walnut Creek, and I feel like the Lord reminded me of it this past week, is... Um, I remember when we hit Philippians chapter 2 that I stood up and as we talked about, as we're getting into Philippians chapter 2, I, I said that I just really felt like the Lord really had a special word for us that morning. And you guys have heard me do this before since then, but every now and then, again, it's always, God's truth is always sufficient, it's good, I believe that he's speaking to us every week, I believe that he's speaking every time we open up his word, but there's just certain times where it just... There's just something that he really has for us that's timely in those moments. And I remember I stood up on that Sunday and I said, guys, I just, I feel like God really has a word for us this morning. And I said something along the lines of, it was close to this, that uh, our ability to embrace what this text says is going to determine whether or not Mercy Hill will rise or fall, whether or not we will have an impact for Jesus Christ. That's what I mean simply by rise, is just carrying out um, his commands and being effective as he calls us to be, or we're going to fall by the wayside and not have much of an impact at all. And the big idea of the text that I was speaking of that week in Philippians chapter 2 is the same big idea that we just read about in this passage right here this morning. And that big idea is this, humility. Humility. I mean, I just want to let you know that nothing has changed, is that I still feel that way this morning, is that our ability to believe, to embrace, and to, by God's grace, live out the truth of what Paul talks about in Philippians 2 and what Peter talks about here in chapter 5 and many other places in the Word, determines whether or not we will be effective as God's, as God's people. And uh, I say that this morning, you know, just I want us to Guys, I want us to get this, because humility, it really is beautiful, and what, what Peter's going to say this morning 
in the text, um, specifically about humility, I believe, is that he's going to speak to the necessity and the beauty, and, and the beauty, the necessity and the beauty of humility in community. The necessity and the beauty of humility in community. Again, not just individually, but, but in a church. It's absolutely, it's absolutely beautiful. And so let me jump right in. We'll understand the why a little bit as we jump into this because the first point that Peter is going to make as we get into the text is really giving us the why as to why we need to look at, that, at this. And like I just said, it's a necessity. Guys, humility is an absolute necessity. And here's why it is a necessity. Here's why the idea of humility and us embodying humility in the way that the Word of God calls us to is absolutely such a weighty reality. Because if we don't, listen, God opposes us. Now, listen, I, I can't think of anything worse than having Almighty God, the God of the universe, put all the stars in the heavens, called each one by name, spoke galaxies into existence, each galaxy burning with, these, with billions of bright stars. That God opposes the proud. The center of this passage, and again, I'm, I'm kind of not going through this in order this morning, but at the end of verse 5, he says it very clearly. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And everything in this short little section that we just read is built around this. So he says there the, earlier on in verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. We'll come back and talk about that. But then he gives the grounds. He says, for, for, here's why you need to do this, for, Clothe yourselves with humility. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then verse 6 flows out of that statement that God opposes the proud. He says, humble yourselves therefore, or you could say therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. This is the center of this text. It's a very weighty reality that God opposes the proud, but he gives, but he gives grace to the humble. So there's two groups of people. Again, you've got the proud and you've got the humble, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. And this is why we need to hear this as, as a church, is because just because you're in the humble crowd for a little while doesn't mean that you'll stay there. And the good news is, is that if you're in the proud crowd, you don't have to stay there. You can come, you can come to the humble crowd. And as, I, as you think about the Bible and maybe just some of the big stories that that come to mind, is you see this throughout the scriptures. And see, the reason I, wanna, I want us to sit here and get this a little bit and think about this is because I'm betting that most of us live with such a grid that, and, and hear me, I want to explain this rightly, is that even as Christians, as God's people, like we know that we're born again. Sometimes we're just not aware, though, that even though we might positionally belong to him, which is true, which is right, when you believe the gospel, you are born again, you become his child. Okay? But but just because that's happened, because we positionally are his child, that functionally he might be opposed to us because we walk in pride and arrogance consistently. And so let me just give you a few examples, Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament, there's this cryptic, kind of cryptic passage in the book of Exodus where um, Moses, God had told him that like, he wanted his people to be circumcised, and God calls Moses, and after he's been in the desert for a long time uh, with his wife and with his kids, and he's going back um, 
to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And you guys maybe know the whole story of the Exodus then. But there's, this little, there's just this little section where because Moses did not obey God and because he did not circumcise his kids, that God opposes him and God is ready to kill him. This is, this is Moses. I mean, Moses was the man, right? But because he was walking in pride of disobedience, God opposes him and is ready to kill him. And thankfully, and man, how many can say amen to this? Moses' wife stepped in and did it. And did it for him so that her man didn't get taken out. <laughs> Praise God for our wives. Um, you've got the story of Joshua. Joshua in the battle of Jericho. And they have this great victory, and they walk in obedience, and they march around the city, they march around it seven times on the last day, the walls come tumbling down, everything's good. And then right after that, there's just this little, dinky little town called Ai. And God had told them not to take any of the spoils of the victory at Jericho, but one guy, Achan, didn't, and he took it and he hid it in his tent and they didn't consult of the Lord as whether or not they should go up and take Ai because man if they dealt with Jericho and man Ai is not a problem and then they go to Ai and they get defeated they get routed by a small group because they were not dependent upon him at one time they were walking in humility and obedience and then they were walking in pride and they were defeated David he takes down Goliath he's a little shepherd boy with a slingshot and a couple stones, and that's it, and God is with him, and man, they begin to sing songs about David, Saul is slain his thousands, David is tens of thousands, and he's on this meteoric rise, and eventually he even gets to the throne, and then what happens? When he's supposed to be out, it says, the Bible says in, in Samuel that in the time of the spring when the kings were to go out to war, David was on his rooftop. You guys know the story, he sees Bathsheba, but he wasn't in obedience to where God was calling him to be out of pride. And so he falls with Bathsheba. And even, and even Peter, the writer of this letter, you think about his life that, you know, on the night of the Last Supper, the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed, Jesus says, you're all going to betray me. No, Lord! Maybe everybody else, but not me. I'm willing to go with you even unto death. And just a few hours later, he's denying him. He's denying his Lord and Savior before a little servant girl. Um, because of the pride of wanting to preserve his own name uh, and his own reputation. And listen, guys, not, not all decisions in our life are equally weighty, okay? Whether or not you get 2% milk or whole milk at the grocery store, like you don't need to spend an hour in prayer about it, like just, just pick one, it's okay, all right? Whether you go eat pizza or Mexican after church for lunch today, okay? Either one, God bless you, the Lord, the Lord is with you. Maybe take some Tums along or something like that. You know, whether you drive a Ford or a Chevy, um, does it well, just in case you're wondering about that, Chevy, okay, is the, is the answer. But whether you drive a Ford or a Chevy, no, like the Lord is with you, it's okay. Not all decisions uh, are equally weighty decisions, but guys, whether or not you walk in pride or in humility is one of them. It is, it, it, is, it is weighty because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let me give you some more examples just so you don't think that I'm maybe taking this too far or making this up. Have you ever read the seven letters in the, in the book of Revelation in, in chapters two and three to the seven churches in Asia Minor? Five out of the seven churches 
you have an example of this, you have an outworking of this text right here of, listen, not the pagan unbelievers, but to the church, God is opposing them. Listen, Revelation chapter 2, the church at Ephesus, he, uh, I won't go, we don't have time to go into detail of what all was going on here, but they had forsaken their first love. And again, with all these sins, though, in these churches, I, I would argue that if you study them, at the core of it is pride versus humility. But to the church at Ephesus, they had forsaken their first love. He says, remember, therefore, the heights from which you fall and repent and do the works you did at first. Listen, if not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its placing. I'm going to remove your witness. I'm going to remove your place in the community and in the culture that's having an impact. I'm going to take that from you because you've forsaken your first love. To the church at Pergamum, he says, because they're holding on to some false teaching. Then in verse 16, he says, therefore repent. Again, saying this to his church, his local church, part of his bride, whom he bought with his blood. He says, therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. How many want to see Jesus with a sword in his mouth opposing them? It was because of pride. The church at Thyatira, also in Revelation chapter 2, because they held to the false teaching of this woman named Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. He says, I gave her time to repent. He always does. He always gives time to repent. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And again, he's speaking to the church. And I'm just going to keep going just so you know that this is biblical and I'm not just pressing something here that isn't found in the scriptures. To the church of Sardis, they had a reputation of being alive, but actually they were dead. They acted like they loved Jesus, but there was no real love in their heart. He says, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I come against you. And maybe the most blatant one that we see is the church at Laodicea. It says, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were, would either be cold or hot. Listen, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now listen, listen. We're talking about the proud or the humble. We're not necessarily talking about the saved and the unsaved. In fact, I would say both are within the realm of the saved, those that believe in Jesus. So I'm not saying that this is in regards to your salvation, but I am saying it is in regards to your witness and the abundant life that Jesus promised you. That we need to walk in humility. And what does it look like if God opposes you? I don't know for sure, but removing the lampstand, him coming with a sword coming out of his mouth, throwing us on a sick bed, coming to us like a thief in the night, and spitting us out of his mouth is nothing that I want to find out about. Yes? You with me? And maybe, again, we got a lot to cover this morning, but I just want to sit here for a second because maybe right now, even what I'm saying, like this Jesus, this Jesus that I'm describing, again, we, like go this afternoon and read in the book of Revelation, okay? He has eyes like fire. 
His hair is like white wool. His feet are like burnished bronze. He shines, his face is like the sun shining in all its strength. And when John, the apostle, saw him, he fell at his feet as though dead. Because I don't know, maybe you don't have a grid for this Jesus. But I'm telling you, this is the Jesus of the Bible. And when it says that he opposes you, you don't want that. You don't want that. But here's why this is weighty both ways. Why there's good news here. He opposes the proud, but what? He gives what? Grace to the humble. And then you see this other word picture that Peter works in here in verse 6. He says, you know, in light of this truth, this weighty reality that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand. It's this picture of this strong hand, this strong arm. The arm of God himself and of this risen Christ. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Why? So that he may exalt you in due time. This mighty hand of God is either opposed to you, opposed to you, or the same mighty hand, if you walk in humility, is willing to uplift you. And if this mighty hand is opposing you, no matter what you do, you will not win. You will not conquer him. But if this mighty hand is for you, no matter what kind of pile of rubble you feel that you're under, you will be exalted. Amen? I mean, that is such good news. But again, at the beginning here, I'm just trying, I just want us to get, and this is the point that Peter's making, is that, guys, humility is an absolute necessity. It's an absolute necessity. I mean, we could, we could spend so much time even here just talking about his grace, but just quickly, man, this past week at small church, guys, if you're not in a small church, a little aside here, please get in a small church. You can sign up online. Somebody will contact you personally and get into a small church because I'll tell you what, like we've been, so five and a half years, we've been going, uh, you know, for most of that time. Our group has changed a little bit. New people have been added, but I cannot tell you just how blessed I am by our small church. Like, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a, the pastor and I want everybody to get in a small church. I'm saying the benefit for me personally is just absolutely awesome. Like, I love our small church, and those guys minister to me every week. This past week, we hadn't met in a couple weeks just because of schedules and stuff. And so I just asked, hey, what's been going on in your life? What have you been reading? What's going on? And uh, Katie Yoder shared that she'd been um, meditating on this verse in, in Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 7 and 8, and we just spent our whole time talking about this, but I just want to read it briefly. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, he says, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, listen, which he lavished upon us. Which he lavished upon us. And what Katie said was, man, that word, that word lavished. Lavished. And, uh, yeah, Zach said that had something to do with being lathered. You know, I was like, what do you think of when you, when, you, when you think of the word lavish? And Zach's like, I think of like being lathered. You know? um, but uh, anyway, sorry, Zach, to out you. It's not like Zach wears girly perfumes and lotions or something. But anyway, but if you, if you think of that idea of lavish, what comes to mind for you? Because th- this is not his grace. And what's he lavishing? He's lavishing his grace. He's not just, we, we think that God just wants to give his grace like, oh, I'm just going to tip out a little bit, whoop, that'll just get you through the day. No, 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 no. He lavishes it upon us. Um, but again here, it's for those who walk 
in humility. And to believe the gospel requires humility. If you're saved this morning, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, if you know where you're going when you die, at some moment, I don't know exactly how that happened, whether you walked an aisle, raised your hand, prayed a prayer by yourself, or driving down the road, it could look a thousand different ways. But at some point, something close to this happened, is you humbled yourself. You said, God, I can't do this. I can't save myself. I can't fix this situation. And I need you. And listen, and God's grace was lavished upon you in abundance. And guys, I want us to be a church that lives in this lavish grace of God. Amen? So not only is humility, though, a necessity because he's either opposing us or giving us all this lavish, abundant grace that we have, but it's also beautiful. There is such beauty in humility. And I want to look, I love this little, it's a strange metaphor to me. Right where we started, he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. This, this little, like, why does he use this image? Why clothe yourself with humility? And here's what's strange about it to me, is because, what, like, when you think of clothes, like, what you put on, like, when you walked into church this morning, when you saw somebody for the first time this morning, before you were ever even able to, like, make your way over to somebody and talk to them, what's the first thing you noticed about them? What they were wearing, right? Clothes. It's like, praise God, right? <laughs> um, that they were wearing clothes. It's the first thing that you, that you notice about them. And what's strange about it to me is that, like, we talked a couple weeks ago, like, how we can actually be proud about our humility, and we don't want that, but yet, at the same time, this image of clothing, like, it's something that people are supposed to notice, that they're supposed to notice that we're humble, and yet, they're not, like, going to make much of us because, oh, that guy's so humble, they're going to make much of Jesus. That's true humility. So, so how does that how does that happen? And like, if you try to get a definition of humility from the Bible, it's not really a definition, but it's a description that's going to be probably the closest thing to it. And in Philippians chapter 2, that passage that I referenced earlier that I had spoken on years ago at, at the Walnut Creek Elementary School, here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Listen, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or from conceit. Listen, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Here's the little phrase, okay, that's just been rolling around in my head this week. And I'll share in just a second, like, it has been heavily convicting to me, and I hope that it convicts you too, in a good way, in a good way. Because this has really been working in my heart. Um, but here's this little, this little question that I've been asking myself, and I think it's the outworking of clothing ourselves with humility. Here it is. The question is this, when people see you, do they see someone who sees them? say again. I'm not trying to say it's oh so profound, but this has just been, man, this has just gotten stuck in me, and it's changing me little by little. When people see you, do they see someone who sees them? 
Because here's the deal. I tend to be an arrogant person. And uh, that little phrase, and because I'm arrogant, what I, what I want is I want people to notice me. And that's pride, and that's arrogance. And I don't know that when people see me, that they see someone who sees them. I'm afraid that when people see me, they see someone who wants them to see me. Does that make sense? I think. And uh, here's the way the gospel sets us free from that. It's because Jesus came. And guys, if you, if you look at Jesus in the gospels, would it not be fair to say that you know, we know that Jesus was the most humble person who ever lived. And at the same time, that, that Jesus, in his humility, he was always seeing people that other people didn't see, right? So the woman at the well in John chapter 4, she's out there by herself. He sends the disciples, into, and he sits down with her. And he doesn't just see her in a surfacy way. He knows everything about her. He knows all about her sin. And he loves her, and he accepts her, and he challenges her. He speaks into the sin in her life, but he does not push away. He, he sees her in a special way. Zacchaeus, the wee little man, and the wee little man was he who climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. He climbs up in the sycamore tree. And total outcast from the rest of society because he was at one time a selfish jerk and would rip people off for a living as a tax collector. And Jesus stops under the sycamore tree and invites himself into his house and accepts him. But, but he sees him. He stops and he sees him. In, you know, Matthew, Matthew the apostle himself, you know, writing about his own experience, he's sitting at the tax collector's booth. And again, total outcast, and Jesus stops and he speaks to him right in that selfish, prideful situation that he's in. And he calls him out of it. And he says, follow me calls him out of that. And then one of my favorite stories, and I want to read it for you just briefly because it's not as familiar as maybe those other ones that I just listed, but there's this story in Mark chapter 7 that I just absolutely love, and it's such a good example of how Jesus sees us as individuals, okay? Is that there's a story of this guy that's mute, he can't talk, and he's deaf, he can't hear. And it says in Mark chapter 7, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and who had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. But he doesn't just do that. It says he takes him aside from the crowd privately by himself. And he puts his fingers in his ears. <laughs> this is Jesus. Sticks his fingers in his ears. So he's looking at him right in the face. The guy's right here. Puts his fingers in his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven... He sighed and he says to him, and then it, it says this, I'm not like, this is the way it's translated in the English Bible because he doesn't say it in the normal language, like he says it in Aramaic. He's, here's the word, he, he says, Ephatha, Ephatha. And then Mark translates it, he goes, that translates, be opened. And his ears were opened and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. So here's what I love about that. Here's a guy, remember, he can't hear have you guys ever talked to somebody that can't hear before? You kind of slow down, you try to pronunciate your words because you're trying to get them to you know, maybe lip-read a little bit of what they're saying. And Jesus meets this guy right where he's at in all of his deafness. 
and he communicates to him in a way where this guy knows that Jesus is saying, I see you. Where this guy would know that Jesus sees him. And he sticks his fingers in the ears and says, and again, here's the, why that word, why it's important that he says, F, I thought, why it's in the Bible, is because there's other words he could have used to just say, be opened. Everybody say that would say, F, I thought. It's like you, a deaf person is going to understand that word. And that's exactly the word that Jesus uses to let this guy know, I see you. I see you. And I know where you're at, and I care enough about you to communicate to you exactly how you need to be communicated to, because I want to let you know that I see you and that I love you. And guys, here's how the gospel changes us and how it enables us and empowers us to be able to truly clothe ourselves with humility and thus live a life like Jesus. Like I just said a few minutes ago, in my arrogance and pride, when people look at me, they might not always see a person that sees them, but they probably see somebody who wants them to see me. Okay? But when I'm believing the gospel, it sets us free from all that, from having to be seen. Because the good news of the gospel is, guys, there is one who sees you. And his name is Jesus. He's the most glorious being in all of the universe. And he doesn't just see you in the sense of like acknowledging your little existence and like, oh yeah, you're down there. He doesn't see you, you know, like the lady at the BMV who just, you know, take a number and I'll call your number. No, he calls us by name. And he sits down beside us at the well. And he lets us know that he sees our sin, but he still loves us. And he stops under the sycamore tree and he calls us down and he invites himself into our lives. And he sees us sitting in all the emptiness at the tax collector booth and he says, come on, follow me. And he takes us aside in all of our deafness and he puts his finger in our ears. He says, Ephatha, be opened. And guys, here's the thing. If you know, if you know and have believed that Jesus sees you, that he sees you, it sets you free to not have to be seen by other people. Because when I know that the most powerful person in all of the universe sees me and loves me, I just don't care so much about what you think about me anymore. Does that make sense? And so when we're living in light of the gospel, when we're believing it, we don't, not only do we not need people to see us as much, but we now are set free to see other people <laughs> in the same way, in the same way that God has seen us. Does that make sense? And guys, this, again, the idea of clothing, like guys, this is, how beautiful would this be? Like how beautiful would this be if at Mercy Hill Church, everybody walks in for the first time whenever they do and they feel that they're being seen by a group of people that is believing the gospel and is able to see them because we know that we're, we've been seen by God. And that we don't, hey, new person that's coming, we don't need anything from you. We want to serve you. We want to love you. We want to let you know that we see you and that God sees you too. 
It's absolutely beautiful. And this is part of the beauty of humility. But the other part of it too is on a personal level, like there's even more good news to this. I want you to notice verse six and seven, how Peter makes this connection between us being humble and the way that we are to not worry, okay? Verse six, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Again, but then listen, now he's, he's fleshing out what he just said, so that's a broad command. Humble yourselves, you're like, okay, how do you humble yourself? Well, I'm gonna tell you, verse seven. Here's how you do it, cast all your cares on him. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I bet most of us have never made this connection. I, I, it made sense after I you know, read this in order this past week, but the connection that Peter is making here is that if you are going to truly be humble, there needs to be an outward response. You need to see other people, that when they see you, they see someone who sees them, but there also needs to be an upward response. And that is before God that we absolutely refuse to be anxious about anything, anything. I bet if we went around this morning and we talked about the issues in each and every one of our lives this morning, I almost guarantee that every single one of them would be tied back in some way, shape, or form to anxiety, to worry. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Do you have any worry, any anxiety? Again, just in the common vernacular, what is stressing you out right now? Here's what I want to tell you. Listen to me. Listen to me and hang with me because it might be offensive at the beginning, but I'm telling you there's good news. Your anxiety, your worry, the thing that's stressing you out, listen to me, listen to me, it's sin. You still with me? You believe that? It, it, it's, it's sin. See, here's the thing about our anxiety, about our worry, is we, we, we think it's ours. Well, man, if I don't worry about it, who's going to worry about it? Well, I, I've got to worry about this because you just don't understand. Like, I, I, got, to, I got to take care of this and, and I've I got to control this. You weren't made to control much of anything. Did you know that? You really weren't. And here's why it's pride and therefore here's why it's sin, okay? Is because even though we don't want to say it this way because, it, you know, we want to make it sound much more spiritual because we want our anxiety and our worry to be, you know, of the Holy Spirit. It's just, it's not true, um, is that when we're trying, when we're worrying, we're worried all the time because in some way, shape, or form, it's something that we're not sure that we can control. Or maybe even we don't worry, certainly we can't control it, but we just can't let it go. Listen, you're not God. You're not God. And if you think you need to control it, what you're saying is, no, I will be God. I'll handle this. Even though it stresses you out, even though the fruit in your life then is anger or frustration because of this control issue that's at the bottom. And see, this is where, guys, it's not, it, listen, Christian repentance is not just from good fruit to bad fruit. It's not just bad fruit. I'm stressed out. Oh, just, just don't be stressed out. You know, so we just put on the song, don't worry, be happy. Da, 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 da. That, that's not the way repentance works. Repentance in the Christian life works. I'm stressed out. There's bad fruit at the root. At the root of the bad fruit is a lie that I'm believing. And the lie that most of us believe when we're dealing with a bad fruit of anxiety is that we can somehow control it. Listen, Jesus came to set you free so that you wouldn't have to control that stuff. What does he say? 
casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Why? This is so simple. Because he cares for you. He didn't create you to have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders, brother and sister. And not just the weight of the world. Listen, he didn't create you to, parents, he didn't create you to carry the weight of your kids' lives. Kids, he didn't create you to carry the weight of whether or not your parents are going to make the right decision or that loved one. He created you to trust him and to worship him and say, God, I don't got this, but Lord, I know you got this. Whatever's stressing you out, listen, please, 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 here, this is a good news invitation. Stop it. Stop it. Repent of it. Here's this word, and the word here for cast is, it's the idea of throwing something away that you never want to see again. Okay, so, a couple quick illustrations. The remote control gets lost in our house all the time. And you wouldn't think as a spiritual man, you know, as a pastor, that that would frustrate me. It frustrates me to no end. Because I'm like, boys, there's a table, like, just set the remote, like, that's all... So, but anyway, so I, when, if I want to sit down and watch TV, like I guarantee today, if I want to watch football, I'm going to have to go home and search for the remote for 15 minutes before I find it, okay? Um, anyway, but it's not just like, it's, it's, it, what he's saying here in Cass, it's not just like kind of like, like you just toss down the remote. In a sense, like, I'm just going to toss this down and I want it to be there next time I come, next time I come back. It's the idea of throwing something as far away from you as you possibly can. Another quick story. When, here's the thing about having kids, okay? Is, is, Kids have a way of desensitizing you to gross things. Parents, can I get an amen? Amen. Okay. I, when we first had kids, if it would not have been for my sweet wife, they would not have had a diaper change. Ever. Because I just can't handle it. Couldn't handle it then. Um, I've grown as a parent since then, by the way, but I do praise God that we're out of the diaper stage. Hallelujah. Um, But here's what would happen. It's like, you got a little baby, and all of a sudden it's like, uh uh-oh, something's up. And I would always, you know, oh, sweetie, I love you so much. You got this? Okay, great, thanks. And Hannah would get up and change the diaper. Now, she did not do this often, but sometimes, because I literally, like, I just was not into it at all okay um but every now and then she would maybe come out of changing the baby or something and just a couple times i can remember her taking that little wrapped up diaper i mean it was all clean and everything and i'd just be sitting there and be like thanks babe you got it and she would just toss it on me (laughs) and i mean i would lose my mind i I mean there was nothing here me it wasn't like it was open or anything like that like it was just it was nothing you know but i would if it would land, I would go, woo, and I would toss that thing away as fast as I could because I never wanted to see it again, ever, ever. And that's what Peter is talking about here when he talks about casting all your cares upon. Guys, how many of you would like to not worry anymore? Yes? I'm telling you, by the grace of God and because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, listen to me, you don't have to. If you do, it's because you choose to hang on to the poopy diaper. 
If you want to do that, go ahead. But you're going to stink yourself. Okay, this, this, this image will preach. I'm, I might run with this for a while. But like you're hanging on to that thing. Nobody else is going to want to get near you either. Pick that thing up and toss it away from you as if you never want to see it again. And why can you do this? Because he cares for you. Amen? Worship team, you come up. We're going to close. You guys just bow your heads with me for just a second. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want to ask you this morning how maybe the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you as I've been speaking from God's Word. Because guys, what we do, how we respond to this call to clothe ourselves with humility and to truly see others, and that when others see us, they see someone who sees them, and to not worry. It has everything to do with whether or not we will be effective as a church. And, uh, you know, as we come every, every Sunday as we do uh, to the Lord's table, I just don't want us to forget that one of the things that we're looking at, and even though we might forget it, even though it's the center of everything, is that Jesus hung on a cross completely naked and shameful. And his example of humility, man, like, no matter what humble act we do or what humble thing we say or how we serve others, it, it will always be like a candle compared to the sun in regards to the humility that he displayed. Because when you think about that idea of when people see us, do they see someone who sees them? Jesus just did not stop seeing other people. Even when he hung there on the cross, being shamefully treated, despised and rejected, nails in his hands and his feet, being totally mocked in every way we could imagine. He looked at others and he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He just kept seeing other people because he knew that his father cared for him. Guys, this has to mark us. This has to mark us. And yes, we want to be intentional in obeying it, but I just want you to pray with me here as we close that God would do this in our local fellowship for his honor and his glory. Jesus, we are truly, God, humbled at your word today. And Father, God, we want to obey you. But Lord, like I, Lord, you know I say this to you every now and then. I, I don't know how else to say it. But Lord, I, I, I cry out against myself. I cry out to you against all the pride and the selfishness in my own heart. 
And God, I ask that you would change me. And I ask that you would give me a heart like yours. And I pray that, Lord, when people would see me, that they would see someone who sees them. Because I know that I've been seen by you all the time. Lord, no matter what the specific thing is that you might be pressing on each individual heart here this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would give the strength to surrender and to take a practical step of humility, obedience to your word. Whether that's a conversation or a phone call or letting go of something, stopping to do something, maybe starting to do something else. I don't know what it is. But Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring that to mind and that you would give us the strength to obey you. Thank you so much, Jesus, for being our humble king that loved us and gave himself for us. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys stand with me. Let's just continue to worship. If you're helping serve communion, you can come down, please. Um, and again, if you're visiting with us, we don't think that coming up here and taking of these physical elements will in any way save you. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, because of Jesus' shed blood alone. It is only that. But we take this every week as...